So these are, these are like the multi-story car parks around Singapore near HDBs. If you see them, uh, that's how it used to look like, right? My house, my, my parents' place had one, and then we can, or four blocks of us surround this car park, and we look down, and it's this barren, grey structure. And I always thought to myself, who will park on the top floor? So legit, you go all the way up, and then you got no shelter. Nobody parks there. In fact, in my parents' place, I lived there for about 10 years. I've never seen any car except for one parked up there. It's the same car. I think for that car, the owner was so precious about his car. Nobody. Because from my experience, there's about the top floor is the sixth floor, the sixth floor. By the time you get to the fourth floor, it's pretty much empty. Right? And, but this dude will go all the way up and he's just the only car there, precious. And then eventually he bought a tent for his car. <laughs> dude, seriously, man, just park one floor down and you get shelter and everything. But anyway, but the thing is, then you start seeing this. So the government looked at the, the top floor and know it's wasted space and it started transforming a lot of this space to rooftop gardens for you to farm. You can actually... Uh, go to the RC and apply, and you can get a plot of land to plant. I've benefited from that. Some of our church members are gifted farmers, and I've got fresh vegetables. I will not tell you who, or else this person will, you know, be inundated with requests and run out of supply. But if you ask me personally, privately later, maybe we'll talk about it. But I will not announce it in public, right? But there's more than this person. I know there are a few people who have done that, and apparently, it's not easy. It's not easy to get a plot of land, you know? And even if you get a plot of land, there's the community who checks. Did that guy come every day? Never come, right? Lazy. Next time, don't give him already. Well, there's this, you know, this, this expectation to, to grow the land. See, I'm a, I am also an expert farmer. I'm also an expert farmer. I have done this. <laughs> For those of you who are in secondary school, or primary school had this project, right? Your teacher say, we'll all learn to plant. And then uh, bring some green beans or red beans or whatever beans. And then you get a plastic cup. You put cotton wool or tissue and whatever, and you put it in. And magically, if you don't forget to water it, it will grow. And uh, my school, how they did it was they put it along the windows, and, uh, and then you write your name. It's like a shame and honor thing. Because every day in the morning, the whole class, 36 of us will go and check. Hey, James, you want to never grow? Why? Uh? I don't know. Maybe the position not right. The feng shui not correct. Let me change with this guy. You know, like, and you see the height of the bean sprout. Some is tall, some is shorter. Hey, not fair. Your side got more sunshine, I think. But the thing is, right, um, after a while, we forget about it. And it continues to grow. But then more things grow. Not just bean sprout. You get mushrooms. You know, the plant, the, the farm just grows itself, you know, and then just some weird stuff, and you get, you get ants, and you get spiders, and she's like, throw it away, guys. But sure, that's my, like, blood and sweat. That's my farm. But the thing is, uh, this farming experience, uh, my dad's a good farmer, and you know I'm not a good farmer. But the thing is, whenever things grow, you don't know where it grows, when it grows. It just grows. You do what you need to do, Give it enough sunshine, not too much. Water, don't drown the plant. Fertilizers, whatever is needed, and then it grows. Just like my son. You know, like my son, me and Tiff, like, we see him every day. 
But yet there are times where I like, I look at him and then Otifa look at him and look and ask me, did Lucas grow taller? We're like, maybe. And then you know why we know he grow taller? Because suddenly the table, the things we used to put here, have to put further behind. Because Lucas will go and go, I said, how come he can reach? Last time he cannot reach what? Don't know. He drank milk last night maybe. A lot of things in life, that's what happens. It grows in darkness. It grows in the unknown. And the fact is, when it's growing, you actually can't do much about it. You can't force it to grow faster, and you can't prevent it from growing. Now, you can go check. You plant green onion, spring onion. You put onion in the soil, you grow. My, my, my sister and her friend is really good at that. If you unpluck the, 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 the onion every so here and then to check whether it's growing, you kill it. You're just going to let it go. Leave the seed in the soil, in the darkness, in that void to allow it to grow. And it needs that. In fact, if you expose a seed before it germinates to harsh sunlight, it will die. It needs that covering, the protection, seemingly abandonment into the soil. There's a story in the scripture that I chose the background specifically to illustrate the story. It's the story of Joseph. It's the last patriarch of the Genesis story before we move into Exodus. He was the reason why Israel ended up in Exodus. As a blessing, mind you. In the beginning, when they moved there, it was a blessing, and they had their own land. They were protected from starvation and famine, but then it ended up as slaves, and they had to live in Exodus. But the story in Genesis tells of Joseph, and he's most known, if you grew up in the church or you heard story from the church, for his colored coat, multi-colored coat. And it was a blessing, but it's also the reason he got targeted. In fact, the scripture, if you look at it in detail, if you look at the word, the, the scholars are not agreed on whether it is a multicolored coat or it's a coat with long sleeves. Because the material required to make a nice coat is not readily available. Like, you can't just go onto Shopee and Lazada today and just buy one. It's, you have to not only have the sheep to, to, to share the wool, and you have to have this person who is skilled in the craft of making those, those strands of threads, then you need somebody else who's just as skilled to wove it together into this long coat. So why is it the longer the sleeve, the more precious it is? Because it takes time. Imagine if it was a long sleeve coat with many colors, you still have to go through the process of dyeing the thread, letting it dry, having the right color mixture. It's very difficult. Most of the people would just wear a single, undyed, grayish, whitish, sheep color cloth. And that's why that's what you see in little Bible stories. That's what they wear. Because you don't spend money dyeing. Because the dyes back then are not like us. We can buy the colors. In fact, there's some colors that are so rare, like the color of the king's. It's by squishing bucks one by one to get that purple. So when you see somebody in purple robe, they're wearing a robe of blood. That's another sermon altogether. 
So imagine how many bugs have to die to get a whole rope of a single color. So different things, you know, get the plants with a different color, to get all this color together. So if it was really a multicolored coat with a long sleeve, it was very, very precious. And this was given to Joseph, son of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, or Jacob's original planned wife. He wanted to marry her, but didn't work out, and, and this is the first child. And so he was precious, but the problem is his biasness towards him, his own decision that probably he was trying to show everybody that Reuben is not the first promised child that God gave to me. Joseph should be the one. And he tried by his own means, through the giving of the coat, trying to like signify and, and, and put on an honor upon him that he was maybe not yet supposed to receive. Sometimes parents, that's the problem. We try to put our kids into the place that we think God wants them to be ahead of God's schedule. We want them to become the person we think they will become, and it might even be true, but it's not the timing of God. God may want this person, and God in His Word did promise this person. We see that story repeated again and again, even with Jacob himself, his mother. Tried to help God. Tricked the father. And here we see again, the father trying to help God and say, Joseph's the one, right? He's the promised child, right? To place him on a pedestal that God has not yet put him on. Parents, I'm a parent now. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to do, do the same thing probably. But we try to run ahead of God. We try to be God instead of letting God be God. Sometimes we just need to wait. It's very hard. It's very hard to look at your child and go, but I want to do something about it. And God says, no, 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 let me. But God, you're not doing it fast enough. God says, wait. But God, there must be something to do. Pray. But praying is not doing anything. No, it is. Praying has connected you with the most powerful being in the entire universe. And yet, normally, in, in our minds, prayer is nothing. It's spitting words into air and goes nowhere because we've forgotten the reality of God's existence in this world. Many Christians today no longer worship God. They worship the knowledge of God, but they don't worship God as reality. Jacob is no different. But yet, despite all these challenges, Joseph grew up, grew up being this gentle, filial, truth-holding person. I will not talk about that part of the story. I just want to bring you back to focus on that as we go into the challenges he starts facing. Joseph's birthright was bestowed by God and not by man, and so must our birthright be bestowed by God. On the other hand, sometimes we try to prevent God's plan for our children. That's not what God wants. That's, that's, not, that's not what I want. But what if that's what God wants for your child? And it's not what you've planned for him or her to experience. What would you do about that? 
That's the question we need to ask ourselves. So the first incident, the first challenge that Joseph faced, turn into chapter 37, verse 20. Genesis 37, verse 20. And so Joseph, being the good son, being the obedient son, and loving his brother despite the brother having animosity towards him, he didn't realize, and he said stuff that he shouldn't maybe have said in front of them. He had dreams, and he shared with them the dreams, and that was, it angered his brothers even more. But so this was the case where the brothers were out feeding the sheep. Here I go, parents, be careful of being biased. Because here we go, we have a father who sent all the sons out to feed the sheep, to train them to become men who can take care of the house, and he keeps Joseph at home. Give him a nice coat. That coat is not meant for shepherds, so he's not supposed to get dirty. So he's not letting Joseph experience the hardship that he should experience to go through the training that he should go through. In fact, that's what happens nowadays more and more. Uh, I think my experience is from more than 10 years ago, but I think today is worse. I told you that when I was in national service, I was injured, and so I was, I was asked to be a clerk for a few months, and part of my job was to enlist new boys as they come to re- register for national service. And already at that time, before uh, all this new generation come to place, we see people coming to national service with their helper carrying their bags. And it always makes me laugh because I can't laugh. I have to hold it in because it's not professional. But I look at that and I go like, this boy is coming for national service, trained to be a man, to be a soldier, and his helper is carrying his bag. That's not the end of it. So I had one mother come up to me, and I was doing registration. I said, please show me your IC. I'm registering this guy. And then they the, 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 sir, sir. I said, don't call me sir. I'm not a sir. Sir has ranks up here. Mine is down here. And says, uh, can, I, can I ask you something? I said, what, what? What if my son has an allergy? Oh, oh. What allergy does he have? Did the doctor in their checkup find out about his allergies? Is he past A? So in Singapore, if you're really fit and healthy, you're called past A. And then you have a little bit of problem, past B. If you are... You've broken your legs before, you call past C, and then you're trying to get out of NS, you're past C9 and beyond, you know? But now the government's really smart. They say, no, 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 even past E has to serve. Good luck trying. Anyway, so I asked the mom, is, is he past A? And he said, yes. Then I, hmm? So did the doctor not find the allergy? So what is his allergy, auntie? My son is allergic to the sun. Auntie, what happens? Will he die if he goes into the sun? No, he get like sunburn. Auntie, we all get sunburn. We just don't stand in the sun too long. They say, does, does, the, does, does the civil defense provide sunblock? Ah? <laughs> At this point, I was holding it. Yeah, I was trying to not burst out laughing. <clears throat> I like, try to hold it in. I turn around and I look at my officer, lieutenant, and say, sir, <coughs> this, this boy has allergy to the sun. And my officer was like, what? Yeah, uh... Auntie asking whether we provide sunblock. This time my son knew what was happening. He came over and says, Auntie, don't worry. We'll make sure he gets sunblock built into his skin. Every time we go and stand in the sun, I make sure he stand an hour longer. So he get the sunblock earlier than the rest of them. Wow, at this point, the auntie almost fainted. Right? So, so we, we're, we try to protect our children too much that... You know, we worry, and I, I hear parents crying like, 
Oh, my son's going to register for national service. I'm like, auntie, it's okay. It's okay, one. He still get drumstick once a week. Don't worry. And so Jacob was the same. Nothing new to humans. From the beginning of time, humanity has been trying to protect people from harshness. Not all those that we like. But because of that, as Joseph goes and, and, and he visits his brother under the instruction of Jacob to bring bread for the rest of his brother. See, Jacob still loved the rest. Just, he was biased. He loved Joseph a little bit more. And then as he goes, as the brothers saw him, they're like, oh dear. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits that we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. Because of the father's biasness and because of maybe Joseph's naiveness and his pureness in his thoughts and action, he's pushed the brothers to the same place that Abel caused Cain to. And it's not even Abel's fault. It's just him being pure and God-loving and nice. Sometimes it makes the rest of us who's not as pure just uncomfortable. And definitely Jacob's biasness, the brightly color codes and walking in, you know, oh, just annoying. It made the brothers want to kill him. And they said, we'll throw him into the pit. Throw him into the pit. Kill him, and we, they even got a plan. We'll say that an animal devoured him. But the fact is, every time we end up in a pit, and some of us may have been in the pit since February last year. Some of us may have been in the pit for longer. And some of us recently jumped into the pit. Some of us don't even know they were stuck in the pit. Sometimes some of us went into the pit voluntarily. Some of us was forced to go into the pit. Some of us jump into the pit without realizing it and we can't get out of the pit. Whatever your pit in your life is, it's a dark place. And it's a harsh place. Circumstances has forced you to stay there and you don't like it. You don't like being stuck in this void, chaos, and darkness. You're uncertain about what's going to happen. You're in the pit. But as with Joseph's story, it reminds us. So he was thrown into the pit. His brother was angry. They wanted to throw him in. But Reuben said, the oldest brother, verse 22 says, Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Don't kill your brother. Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So not all his brothers were, were evil. But sometimes group think is really dangerous. People think there's a bad idea. And they say, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. But Reuben, thank God, the spirit moved his heart. The brothers wanted to kill him. He says, no, 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 let's not do that. Let, let's just throw him there. But he had a plan. We just throw him there and my brother's sleep because there's a lot of them and him and Joseph together will not be able to fight off the brothers. And so he says, well, when they leave, I'll secretly come back. I'll rescue my brother. But there was still love. There was still sense. Reuben still knew what was going on. Not, this is not right. An interesting thing is the one who saved him is one of those who he might think don't like him and persecute him. Sometimes the one who saves us 
and bring us out of the pit could be somebody that we are most not expecting to save us. And it could be someone that we don't even like. But God sends that person to bring us out of the pit. But it goes on, the story goes in verse 24. And when he does arrive, they did take him. They listened to Reuben, thankfully. They didn't kill him. They took him and they threw him into the pit. And I had to, to, to struggle with the next part a little bit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Why did the Bible say that? And I spent some time thinking about it. Was it because the Bible was trying to tell us that the brothers didn't throw him into a pit with water so that he would not drown? And I was hoping for that answer, that the brothers all have conscience, that they didn't want to drown their brother, they, they listened to Reuben. But the fact is, if you read the context, it was not so. The Bible specifically mentioned that there was no water and this water is not like a lot of water. The word there is a little bit of water to mention that the brother threw into the pit hoping he would die of thirst. No water there. It's a dry pit. Sometimes your pit is not dark. Sometimes your pit is dry. And our dryness in our lives could be emotionally dry. I haven't felt a connection. I visited a friend yesterday um, he's from Malaysia, um, and he's worked in Singapore, and he's, he's, he works for the government, and so government is always setting the example, and so for them, he's going to work from home forever, almost. And so I went to visit him, and, uh, and uh, I have another friend with me who's online now, and then, and then we were just chatting. This other friend had the same experience because they don't have family in Singapore, and then we're like, this is the first time I'm meeting with people in almost a month. Daniel. <laughs> the classic example, always staying at home alone. It's rough, right? It's tough. You may enjoy it for a while. Like I, I, I appreciate time out, like just by myself, alone time. But if you go for more than like a week, oh, you know, I, I really appreciated that the, the we are allowed to go eat out in twos or what. I didn't even need to talk to people, but just sitting there with like people I don't even know them by myself, I felt better. People, human beings. Because I've been like, tapao, no? Go back to my office, eat by myself. Like, what am I doing? Some days I got, like, I love food. Right? You know I love food. I'm a foodie. Some days I didn't even, like, I got too lazy to go out and tapao. Because it's like, it's so sad. I just, like, eat biscuit. It's the same. Whatever I eat, no, <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. We need people. And so Joseph was thrown into this pit. It was dry. It was nobody. No, nothing else. There was no sustenance. Maybe you've been in a pit for a long time. You've no emotional refilling. You have maybe been in a pit where your relationship with God has been disconnected. You've been disconnected from the fountain of life, refilling your life with this overflowing water, and then you've not received from Him for a long time. And you're dry. The Bible tells us in verse 28, as he was stuck in the pit, waiting to die. He didn't know that Durban's going to rescue him, by the way, right? So he, he was shocked. He doesn't know what happened, why his brother hates him so much. They took his rainbow color coat from him, threw him into the pit, no water. Verse 28, then Midianite traders, cousins, by the way, 
passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And if you're just reading this story, this is like bad. Joseph has just been human trafficked. He's just been sold as a slave by none others than his brothers. Bad. But what's the other alternative? Discounting Reuben, we're not sure he's going to save him just yet. He's going to die. He's going to die of thirst in the pit. Sometimes the person who rescues us or the circumstance that brings us out of the pit may not be a good circumstance. But sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of time in life, it's not a choice between a good option or a bad option. My ethics teacher, Miroslav Kish, used to tell us, many times life is a choice between the bad and the worse. Which is better, die, sold as slave? Both are bad. Both are negative. But being sold as slave is better than dying, I think. And so Joseph was brought out of the pit, sold to his cousins who sold him to his enemy. Seems like a really bad situation. And Joseph would have lost his faith in the God that he served. and says, God, why have you allowed this? But I think throughout the journey, he was thinking, well, I could have died. It is better than death. Or is it? He was not sure. But he says, God, I trust you. I'm not sure where I'm going. Never been to Egypt. Never been a slave. But you take care of this. So very often, you may not be the ideal situation, but at least it moves us a step out. Like this. I'd rather have 50 than preach to chairs. I'd rather preach to the chairs than having to be locked in my room preaching to a camera. Sometimes we want the best situation to happen immediately, but sometimes God says, be patient, my son. We need to take steps. You know what's the thing I realized about these past one and a half years? Even though I didn't have church as normal, all of us didn't have church as normal, even though it's harder on me, even though it was not as easy, I was reaching a point where things was going easy, where things would just flow from week to week, and then God just, bam, destroy everything, and I was like, wow, God, why is this happening? The church was being filled, people was being brought to church, into relationship with you, why did you stop this? And God says, well, because I'm going to bring out more people for my service. And I'm going to reach more people than you can ever imagine, if you stay with the previous way of functioning. And because this one and a half years, I've seen more people stand up and serve than ever before. People that I didn't even think about. They volunteer and they serve and they contributed to the church before. Maybe they don't, wouldn't have to, wouldn't need to. But God, through the circumstance, James have to wait and be patient and God raise up more people for his kingdom. I would never have thought about the third service at five o'clock because I didn't need to for a while. And God says, now you can't wait anymore, just do it. We talked about it, and we just shelved it, and we talked about it. We shelved it, we tried something, we, we, we stopped it. And God says, no, 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 push, James. Go on. So Joseph was brought and sold to the Egyptians, and he was brought to this place that is unfamiliar to him. Let's go to verse 29. 
And when Reuben returned to the pit, he did come back, thank God. But he saw that Joseph was not in the pit for his clothes. He was not there. From Reuben's perspective, sometimes we have our little plan to do what we think God wants us to do. We may be disappointed. But Reuben chose wrongly, and, and instead of asking God to, maybe he should have gone and rescued his brother from the Egyptians. I don't know what he should have done. But instead of that, he, he, he turned to cover up. How can I prevent my father from finding out? He chose the wrong option. So at every single juncture, we have to be careful of how we choose. God is trying to impress us to choose the right thing. Reuben chose the right action in the, in, at one point, but the very next action is wrong. So don't be overconfident about that once you've made one right choice, that all your choices afterwards will be correct. Every juncture, ask God for His guidance. Ask God for discernment. Ask God for His wisdom. And the most comforting verse, let's go to 39, verse 2. And he, he sold to Egypt. That's a little, 38 is a little bit, a story about Judah. I'm not going to do that today. Jump to 39. He sold to Egypt. He's in Egypt. He served his master. And this is the most amazing promise in this whole story. Do you notice in chapter 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man as he was in the house, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. God is not like only with us when the situation is good. God is not only with us when we feel that we're blessed. God is not only with us when things are smooth sailing. In fact, we need God more when situations are bad. And the bad situation does not say that God is not there. Very often when things make a turn for the worse, we say, God, you've abandoned me. God, how could you let this happen? How can I be sold to the Midianites and to the Ishmaelites and to the Egyptian? God, am I not your son? And sometimes God's answer is, I'm here. Sometimes as Christians, we want good circumstance and environment more than we want God. We seek smooth sailing life more than the presence of God. But God says you may not have a smooth sailing life because that's not what life is supposed to be anyway because we're still living in a world of sin. But hey, I'm going to be with you. Is that okay? Is that good enough? My presence is more important than a good situation. And then if we go on to the end of the story in verse 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 15. And as he, he was again in a good situation, God blessed him, he was successful in him. And then Potiphar's wife comes and seduce him, and he, in order to do the right thing, was thrown back into the pit. Let's read the verse. For I was indeed stolen of the land of Hebrews. My brothers betrayed me, sold me. And here I have also done nothing. And they should put me into the pit. Sometimes getting into the pit is not your fault. It's not because you've done the wrong thing. It's not because God is trying to punish you. It's not because you have sinned and you need to repent of the sin. That's why God put you in the pit. No, no, no. Sometimes others sin that cause you to be in the pit. For Joseph, he knows. 
He's not done anything wrong. He's done nothing. God was with him and God was blessing him. But yet circumstances, action of others like his brothers before will put him in the pit. Sometimes going to the pit is beyond our control. And it's not like God has lost control. He's done nothing. Just because Potiphar's wife wanted him, and he rejected, he stood for what is right. How could I betray my God and my master? He was put into the pit. Let's go to 41 verse 14. And so in the pit, in the prison, God again showed Joseph that he did not abandon him, that God was with him, and he gained the trust of the prison warden, and he was given freedom and given authority to take care of people in the prison. And he was doing the right thing. He was doing the good thing. And these two persons come, cupbearer and the baker. He helped them interpret their dream. He took care of them, comforted them. Although one didn't end up really well, but the other guy, you know, he, he did what he didn't need to. He was a fellow prisoner. He didn't need to care. He's in a pit. It's easy when we're in the pit to just think about ourselves and how to take care of ourselves, to protect ourselves. But while in the pit, Joseph took care of others because that's what God impressed this young man's heart to do. And because he took care of someone and then the person say, oh, well, you know, when I get out, if your word is true, I will help you. And then he forgot. Imagine this person say, you have you interpreted this dream and you're like, this guy's going to be restored back to the king's side. He must be able to save me. God help me interpret the dream. God must be leading me. And then two years, nothing. God, have you forgotten me? I'm still in the pit. God. God didn't forget that the, the guy did. But maybe the timing was not right. There's no famine to come. The Pharaoh didn't have any dream just yet because God wanted to put him into a higher position. He had to be patient to wait for two more years. It was only when the Pharaoh had the dream in verse 14 and nobody, nobody in the whole entire court, this story happens again and again in a kingdom, in a court of those who are not of God's domain, that they cannot understand God's will. And so the Pharaoh had a dream and he couldn't interpret it. And then people remember, oh, wait, 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 wait. There was a young Hebrew boy. He was with me. And I said, I will save him. Didn't mention that part. But he can interpret my dream. So in verse 14, it says, Then Pharaoh, reluctantly, embarrassingly, because all his men couldn't do anything, he needs the help of a Hebrew prisoner, sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. I'm, I'm sure the prison warden wanted to help him out too. He's like, this is a good man. I can see God's spirit in him. Brought him out, shaved him, changed his clothes, and came before Pharaoh. The rest of the story goes that he was able to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. He was able to even not just interpret, but through the wisdom of God and through his experience of faithfully serving God in the small things, he's learned to be a good manager, a good steward. He was able to give the king a good advice that the seven years of plentiful to store it up because there's going to be seven years of famine. And I think this, this is not just about Egypt's history, but it's about our lives. When your life is going well, did you store it up? 
We're now in famine. In fact, some of us have famine because we can't even come to church for a long time. Those are times of famine. Did you store up enough resources to last you through? And if it happens again, will you be prepared next time? Because I can assure you, stuff like this, different ways, different forms, going to keep happening to the church. Are you going to be ready? If one day internet's cut from Singapore, there's no online church, you're not allowed to leave the house, are you going to survive spiritually? Are you going to take the time that you have right now, the time of plentiful, to prepare? Or are you going to starve? So the timing was right. Joseph had to wait for two years in the prison. Discouraged, maybe, most likely disappointed, thinking that maybe God has forgotten him until the right time comes and the Pharaoh summoned him and he was moved from a prisoner to the prime minister. And finally, he was in a position of power. In a position of power. He has the authority. He's the second to the Pharaoh. But then, most powerful empire. Could do anything he wants. He saved the country. His brothers come. His enemy come. The one who wanted to kill him come. What would you do? I know what James would do. That's why James is not in the Bible. But that's not what Joseph did. So his father passed away and he lived. They thought that Joseph was bearing with them for the father's sake. He was just pretending to be nice. See how evil people don't have peace? (laughs) And finally, they, they were so scared after Father Jacob died. They came to Joseph. Joseph! What are you going to do with us? We are your servants. We'll be your slaves. Fulfilling the dream that Joseph had. Scared of their brothers for so many years. Imagine they had no peace in their heart. They were not physically in the pit. But because of their sins and their evil ways, they locked themselves emotionally in the pits for years. Joseph got out of the pit, but the brothers never did. Brothers stayed there, worried. Every single day, bounded by guilt, bounded by shame, bounded by fear. Came to Joseph. We're your servants. Verse 19, one verse before says, But Joseph said to them, knowing the problem, says, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? Am I God? I'm not. We are not God. We want to be, but we're not. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Very often when we're in the pits, we focus on ourselves. We think that God has abandoned us. We think that we're suffering. But you may not know how God wants to use you as a blessing to people that you don't even know. And even by extension, save your own family. Those suffering actually are not suffering, but training for you to become great in God's plan. And finally, before he died, verse 24. 
He says, Joseph said to his brother, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob. Joseph never left God, never left the promised land. He knew that even though it's a time of prosperity, of blessing, that it's not going to hold for a long time. He saw maybe prophetically that one day they become slaves, that their promise to him will actually become true, that the descendants will become slaves in Egypt. But he knew God would not abandon them as God has not abandoned him. The day will come where God will deliver you. I don't know when that is, it took 400 years, but God will deliver you because God would not abandon his people. See, our inheritance, our honor and blessing may not come in the way or form that we appreciate or expect. That's what the story of Joseph tells us. It may not be what you think it's supposed You have this idea, but you don't know God's plan because God's ways are higher. And the Joseph story reminds us that our inheritance, our honor, our blessing may be the presence of God himself. That itself may be the blessing. It may not be success in what you do. It may not be the children that you want. It may not be the spouse that you've been yearning for. It may not be the studies that you're able to do well, but it's the presence of God through the suffering. And the biggest reminder from the story of Joseph is God is not simply our secondary backup. It's not when things don't work out, then God comes in. He has to become our primary focus. So church, as we go through the the process of getting back to normal, as we go through a time where we can once again prosper and collate stuff, let us not forget to store up for a time of famine. God loves you, God wants to be with you, and God will not abandon you. Amen.
Shall we pray? Father, Lord, we thank you for not abandoning us, even though we may feel that you have. Thank you for having our lives planned out in the most wonderful way according to the best plans you have. Help us to follow that plan, not fight that plan, because, Lord, it's a plan to prosper us. And, Lord, as we, as we obey, as we wait, and sometimes in the pits we may feel alone, May your spirit be ever close to us and may the church as a community watch out for one another for you've tasked the church to be your hands and your feet. We love you, God, and may you be with us this Sabbath day ever more closely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.